Welcome to the Toes in the Line podcast. I'm your host, Joe Grassi, man. What's going on with y'all today, man? Monday, it is September 28, 2020. And I'll tell you what, man, we finally, finally, finally got to get our athletes going in the weight room here at Fordham University in the Bronx, a.k.a. Gotham City, New York. And I'll tell you what, man, Governor Cuomo, man, y'all killing us, man, with this whole, you know, procedures that we had to follow, you know, to get, to get kids going. But, um... We finally got him in, and that's all that matters. You know, first week back in, um, you know, my athletes, uh, you know, volleyball, baseball, track and field, water polo, and, of course, the football guys. Um, and I want to say, you know, that obviously you're going to see the drop-off with some stuff, especially strength um, and power, speed, you know, from a six-month or, uh, you know, however many months of um, – non-strength training these you know these these athletes have had these past couple months this year but um not a lot i want to say you know our, de- our decreases from what i observed this first week in the weight room um you know as high as an eight percent decrease in vertical jump height in some of my athletes especially the volleyball um team there um strength wise i mean it, it varies from athlete to athlete some athletes had access to stuff some athletes didn't have access to anything but um yeah, I would say in the weight room, I haven't seen anything greater than same thing about an eight to ten percent drop off in um, strength, with a certain percentage of you know weight that you know the kids are moving for you know whatever it is that we're doing that they were that's you know a squat or overhead press, um, and I haven't touched the bench press yet. That's a that's a lift I don't want to touch yet. Um, I'd rather you know get the athletes pulling. Let's get the back strong. Let's get the shoulders strong. You know, we're overhead pressing, we're pulling a lot, whether it's, you know, vertical, horizontal, or whatever the case is. But anyway, outside of the weight room stuff, man, we're doing fine. Life is good in North Jersey, New York, um, unless you're a sports fan. I mean, the Giants and Jets <laughs> is what it is. Buffalo Bills, that's the new team in New York. They run they run the show now. Um, yeah, and nothing, nothing else to talk about New York sports-wise. Knicks are down, you know. Who knows what the Yankees are going to do, whether they want to win or lose. You know, Mets are the Mets, you know. Um, at least soccer started up in Europe. You know, the Serie A started up, Bundesliga, La Liga, English Premier. Big soccer fan. You know, I just don't watch, I, I don't just watch football. I'm a big soccer fan, AC Milan to be exact. So they won today. Um, Premier League, I just watch because it's good. Good soccer there. But um, anyway, let's get into today's episode, man. I got Brian Johnson. Um, my guy from the University of Arizona, um, I actually met Brian through a friend of mine, you know, within my network. So, uh, you know, Brian's been doing big things throughout his career, whether coaching or playing. I mean, he's won a national championship as a player um, with Louisiana State University under Nick Saban. Um, so that's that's just, you know, awesome to know a guy that's done that at that highest elite level. Um, big time of the big time. I mean, he's played in the NFL, um, coached in the NFL as well. So, um you know, the attitude and the energy he brings to Arizona or, or whatever school he's going to be at because he's been around um, to quite a few places. You know, he, he looks to bring a strong pedigree of winning and um, championship culture. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, and let's get to it, man, because I don't want to talk too much because I can get into a rabbit hole talking about shit. And, oh, and real quick, shout out Jaden Vasquez. I, I told him I was going to shout him out. That's my dog. PB&J is the at, if you know what I'm saying. All right. And this is how we're going to do it from now on. Right. Every time somebody right re whatever you call it, it's not a retweet. It's a re IG on your story. 
right? My podcast episode, I shout you out on the next one, all right? And there's quite a few people that's been, you know, uh, what's it called? Regramming. That's the that's the word, right? Regramming. Re- regramming my stuff. Um, and I ain't been shouting y'all out, but I'm gonna do it now, cause uh, you know, I, pr- I promised Jaden I said I'm gonna shout you out, cause he said, you know, hey coach, if I regram it, can you give me, can you put my name? Can you give me a name drop? I said, hey, of course, for sure, for sure, I'm 100. But um, yeah, let's get let's get right to it, man. I don't want to hold y'all for too long. It's 4:30 on the set right now, so um, Ryan Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Told on the Line podcast. I'm your host, Gio Grassi, and I'm bringing you guys today the head strength and conditioning coach from the University of Arizona, Brian Johnson. Coach Johnson, I appreciate you coming on today, baby. It's, it's uh, been, uh, you know, some time wasted, man. I should have got you on uh, episode two, Rodney Hill tells me, man. What's up? What's up, big dog? What's going on, man? I, I appreciate you having me. You've had some heavy hitters, you know, Big Rodney and Quinn. Uh, so, you know, I got to come on here and come correct. Yeah, no, nah, I'm, listen, I'm trying to line them up. This, this is like the heavyweight fight every time people tune in and listen, man. This ain't right. no <laughs> Just a bunch of big dogs, man. But, Brian, man, you've been all over, man. Um, played in the NFL, coached the NFL, coached at big-time universities, man. So just take some time to introduce yourself to the crowd, man. All right. Uh, originally from Tallahassee, Florida. Um, played college ball at Louisiana State University, offensive line. Uh, was coached by two great coaches, uh, Nick Saban and Les Miles. Uh, won a uh, national championship in 2003 uh, at LSU. Actually, Coach Saban's first uh, national championship. So, uh, really proud of that accomplishment. Uh, after that, went and spent three years in the NFL. Um, kind of bounced around. I was a free agent. You know, spent a year on practice squad. Uh, did that thing. Was on IR due to a back surgery that ultimately led me to to get out of playing. Uh, and then that's when I got into coaching. And I moved back home after rehabbing from that back surgery. Uh, in Tallahassee, and then uh, that was actually the same year that uh, Florida State promoted Jimbo Fisher to the head coach at Florida State, who was actually my offensive coordinator at LSU. Hmm. Uh, So while I was home, I was going up there to the facility every day, just wanted to be around football uh, instead of sitting at the house all day. So uh, finally, Coach Fisher asked me if I was done playing and if I wanted to get into coaching. I told him I did, and I wanted to be in the weight room. So Started at the bottom of the totem pole, man. No benefits. Was making like 19 grand a year, you know, and that was after, you know, making really good money. So mm-hmm. uh, that was that was a tough one, but it was good to kind of get it from the ground up and, uh, you know, be the low guy, having to, to really work hard and outwork people. You know, it kind of felt like my freshman year in college again. So, you know, that, it was a great experience. So after two years of doing that at Florida State, man, I was blessed with a job the head job at University of Akron. Um, and I think I was only there for four months, and, and, and I was only there for four months, one, because I got a call from my alma mater, LSU. My mentor, my head strength coach is a player, Tommy Moffitt, called me and offered me a job on his staff. Mm. Um, but, you know, you, you, you talk about money, and, yeah, LSU is LSU, and Akron is a Mac school, but it was a great experience. Uh, but the first lesson I learned at Akron was that I was not ready to be a head strength coach. 
Yeah. Um, there was still so much that I needed to learn. I needed to get certified. I needed to work on a mat, you know, working towards a master's. And there were just a lot of other things, administrative things, and even just programming, just from the ground up. I needed to to get more knowledge and information on because, yeah, I think I, I know that I would have done a great job at the University of Akron. Uh, but my goal when I got into coaching was to work towards winning another national championship. And yeah. I don't think that me being at Akron and staying at Akron would help set me up for that simply because of the lack of knowledge on my part and information and, and, and the lack of exposure that I had to this business. So I, I ran to the opportunity to actually be able to go and learn from Coach Moffitt at LSU at my alma mater, uh, learning from, you know, who most call the godfather strength and conditioning. Yeah, to right. See it, <laughs> yeah, to see it behind the scenes. So I went and did that for three years, learned a, a lot. Uh, and then I just got to the point where I felt like, you know, I got a little stagnant and I was starting to feel a little comfortable because I, Baton Rouge is a great place, best place in the world. Uh, and, and Death Valley, there's no place like it. Uh, so I decided that I needed to kind of put myself in an uncomfortable situation. I needed to learn. I needed to grow. I needed to expand. Uh, and that's when I uh, got a job with the San Francisco 49ers working for Mark Uyama. Uh, and I knew from the moment I stepped in there that, there were some things that I had that, I, that, that were going to help me be successful at that job, but there were some things that I, there was a lot that I didn't have, uh, even just going from coaching in college and coaching to the NFL. Um, so another great learning experience, learning from one of the best in the business on that level, um, and, and was around some other really good assistants, uh, seeing two different coaching staff. So I did that at two years with the 49ers. And then I got called by Coach Sumlin to come and be uh, the first assistant at Texas A&M under Mark Hockey. I uh, did that nice. for a year. Uh, and then, you know, I hate to say we had an unsuccessful season because we, we won seven games. But, you know, the SEC West standards, that's not good. Uh, so <laughs> uh, it's funny because things kind of came full circle and Coach Fisher became the head coach there. So I had an opportunity to stay oh, yeah, there at right, Texas A&M. Yeah, I had an opportunity to stay I was not offered the head job, which, you know, I, I understood completely. Uh, but I, at that time, I knew I was ready for a head job. So when Coach Sumlin got this job, uh, fortunately, in that one year of us being around each other, I showed him enough uh, for him to feel confident in making me his director of strength and conditioning here at the University of Arizona. Uh, so that's where we are now. That's good stuff. And you said you won a national title with Nick Saban, right, at LSU? Yep, won one in 2003. Yep. So – that, that that's a hey, congratulations on that, by the way, you probably Appreciate heard a million it. of them, but now nah, that's dope because, um, man, it, to looking at it from, you know, I guess a fan's point of view, it just looks easy how the guys go out there and win every week. But talk about that as a player, like, it, you know, in the moment, how fucking hard is it to win a national title and in, in college football, man? Cause you got some heavy hitters that yep. it just seems, it just seems like at that time, LSU could have won every year. Alabama looks like they could win every year now, but like, how hard is it really to you know be a player in, in those situations? Man, it's, it's, it's all about the preparation. Yeah. And the, the, the crazy thing about that, and I tell recruits all the time about what we do here at Arizona when I'm telling them why this is a, a, a special place, uh, is because, it, like, you really, you know, you hear everyone talk about, oh, believe in the process, trust in the process. Mm -hmm. And some people, I think they say it, and they don't really know what that entails. Um, and I think what sets me apart is, is that I actually understand what that in, entails because we won a national championship. I was a red shirt freshman. So the year before, I, 
I failed the 110 test. I wasn't, you know, very good at conditioning. And, I, and it wasn't because I couldn't do it. It's because I didn't, uh, I, I didn't know how to push myself to do it. I didn't know how to, to, to separate. I didn't understand those things because in high school, I was just always so much better than everybody. And then you go to a place like LSU. And once again, you're at the bottom of the totem pole and, the bottom of the totem pole is used is I'm telling you, you, you need to find an opportunity where you're in that spot because it, it teaches you how to fight. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, you know, that's what I love so much about it because that was the introduction in me learning how to fight, learning how to go extra, do extra, give more. Um, and then when tough times come, when you aren't successful, uh, to have the confidence and knowing that I've been through this, I've, I've fought through it before. So I know I can get through it again. And that's every Saturday, especially when you're when you got Auburn and Alabama and Florida and Mississippi State and old heavy Miss, hitters, man. Tennessee and Georgia week in and week out. Yeah. A lot of people talk about that conference like, oh, it's not all that special, but okay, look at the NFL rosters and then you tell me if it's what what's 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 going on Saturday. Yeah. Especially especially the time you played. SEC was like dominating every team in the country at the time. Right. Yeah. I mean that was that was the beginning of I mean, what did they? What did they get? Like seven in eight years, seven and nine so, years. I something mean, like that. Yeah, nine and ten years, something stretch. crazy. So, yeah, yeah it, it it taught me how to fight it. it. It was my introduction into separating myself and and getting through adversity, and pushing and and, and pushing and not accepting uh, success and feeling like that's all I need to do, but also not accepting failure and, and continuing to work and get better. Um, so that was really the thing I enjoyed most. Like I tell people all the time, I, I don't even know the last time I pulled my national championship ring out of the case, mm. but there's, there are lessons and things that I pull from on a daily basis, uh, about that process uh, yeah. that helped me, that have helped me get to where I am today. And, and, and I'm hoping that those things help me lead a, a group of help, uh, and leading a group of men to win a conference championship in the Pac-12 and competing for national championships. Yeah. How, how was that mentally for you? And how do you engage with, you know, the guys, the recruits you get now being, you know, you were the man in high school. Now you're a freshman. Listen, you, you, you're not the man no more. You're playing with men, you know? So how, how was that for you? And how do you relay that message to your guys? Well, it's, it's humbling and it's hard to, it's hard to accept. Yeah. Cause I you know? quick, quick story. When I went, when I went to Dell state, and I was a place kicker. Dude, my first field goal attempt ever at Dell State blocked off the edge. And I'm like, holy right. shit. I never used – coach, I didn't see this guy coming, <laughs> right. you know? Right. So th- that was humbling to me. It's like, fuck, the game is so much faster in college now, you know? Yeah, I mean, my first my first college play against Louisiana Lafayette, I was at left tackle. I was just – I mean, in Death Valley at night, it doesn't matter who you're playing. It's rocking. Mm-hmm. I don't even hear the ball snap. I'm reacting oh. to the defensive end. I don't even touch them. I'm on the blind side, and the defensive end put his helmet in the back of the quarterback's shoulder pads. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And it was it was a terrible feeling. Uh, but you know, I never allowed that to ever happen again. Not saying I never gave up a sack again, but I never was to the point where I was just so unprepared. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's what that's what those experiences do, man. You have to learn from them, and you have to get better from them. And that's what I relate to my guys, and I think. One thing that helps me out in my coaching is that I'm willing to share those stories. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to tell them that my freshman year, I had the lowest GPA on the team after my first semester. And now I had to claw and dig and fight uh, to get 3.5 GPAs for 
the next four semesters to get back in the good graces with the coaches and my teammates and my parents. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. I share those stories because I didn't allow that to be my story. I came, mm-hmm. I came up from that. I, 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 it was a bad experience. I take full blame for it, but I worked my butt off to make sure that it never happened again. And that it's not just a fight in that time. It's an everyday fight because you know, things like that, us choosing the easy path, us just doing the minimum, that's human nature. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. it's, it's an everyday fight. It's not, these aren't things that you can just say, oh, I'm not going to do anymore and they're, and they're just going to automatically go away. There's there's a daily process there. There's a daily language that you have to have. I have to talk to myself when I get up every morning in my 25-minute drive. And I tell them, I, to, hey, look, today I had to talk myself into this thing today. But I'm here now. I see your faces, and I'm not going to let y'all be like I was. I want to make sure that this day ends up being the best day you've had in your life. Um, so just me being able to share those experiences and, and humanize myself, which I think as coaches we have a hard time doing because we want to paint ourselves to be the all-American, all everything. I always did everything right, yeah. and that's why I expect it from you. And it's like, no, I've seen the other side of what I'm trying to get you to do. That's why I'm trying to tell you not to go that way. Mm. that's good man that's awesome that you you've experienced the highest of the heights in, in the game as a player now you're relaying that message back as a coach man everything yep. coming back full circle so listen I, I, I you know I hear I hear what you're talking about I hear what you're doing I hear from other people the stuff you're doing you seem like you're doing you know everything the right way the great way so hopefully you know everything comes into fruition for you coach but you know you're a head guy now this is your second time around being a head guy what what have you learned um or not not what have you learned, but like what mistakes did you clean up from your first time as a head to now? Yeah, no, the, the biggest thing I, I, I learned from that first experience of this one is not allowing myself to ever say that I'm not ready because of what I know and what I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Making sure I have information. Make sure I'm always reading. Make sure I'm always talking to people that are doing things better than what I'm doing, which which first and foremost means that I have to continually humble myself because I would love to think that I'm the best strength coach in the country. And that's what I want to be. And that's what I want to work to be. Uh, But I also know that there's no way I could ever be the best if I'm not putting myself around the best or talking to the best or watching the best, meaning that they're better than me. Right. So I I never want to, I'm going to allow myself to be in a situation like I was in Akron where I don't know where I don't have a clue. And even there, trust me, there are things that happen every day where I know I don't know, but at least now I know where to look or I know what to draw on to find out. And at that point in my career, which is only my second year coaching, I was 27 years old. Um, I, I know now I know, and I'm not, I'm not going to allow myself myself to be hindered by ignorance. You know what I mean? And not knowing. No, it's good stuff. So, from that, what technology or, you know, things that you're kind of utilizing now that you didn't have in the past? Yep. Um, and how did you find ways to, you know, measure certain, um, I, I guess, how did you find ways to quantify certain measurements uh, yep. without the use of technology? Right, right. So I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, it's amazing. And it goes back into that not knowing because mm-hmm. my first job at Florida State, we were the first university and maybe the first sports organization in 2010 to bring catapult gps to the states mm-hmm. uh eric corn played a big part in that vic valoria was the head strength coach and 
it was so new and so unknown that like I didn't understand anything about it. A lot of people around me didn't understand anything about it. And then that made it okay. You know Joe Danos. Joe Danos was there. I was just about to ask you if you worked yeah. with Danos. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Joe, yeah, yeah. yeah, Joe Danos was there. That's my guy. Joe Joe and Vic coached me when I was a player at LSU. Nice. Yeah, so we already knew each other and had a relationship. Back. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So it was just so new, man. And, and at that time, everybody was so against it because they didn't know anything about it. So it was like a good excuse to be like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, you know, you draw back on some of the conversations, like now, you know, 10 years later, I'm like, oh, okay. So then Akron, of course, I didn't have any, I didn't have any technology and nor was I interested in using any, all right? I I couldn't afford it. But even if I did at that time, I wouldn't have used it just because I did not know. Yeah. Got to LSU and, and Catapult was there and we used it for a lot of things we did in training. We didn't do so much in practice with anything, but I do remember Coach Moffitt just talking about certain metrics and, you know, if we get this type of player load, this is what we see. And then I remember us like getting excited at the end of phases before we got into a competition phase because of the changes in speed and oh man, this guy was at you know twenty point three miles per hour and now he's running twenty two or twenty. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah. um, so then I start kind of putting those things together. But then when I got to San Francisco and I got to see data every day, um, especially once Chip Kelly got there to be the head coach my second year. Um, I got to look at things every day and then it helped me start asking questions. And then those questions helped me formulate what I wanted to watch the next day, whether it was training, whether it was practice. So I could look at the numbers and then go, okay, this is what this type of practice is going to be tomorrow. So let's look at it. Let's see it. Mm -hmm. And then we went into training camp. And then I had an opportunity to work with the player. It was a return to play protocol, but it wasn't return to play because he was injured. It was return what and return to performance, return to practice, whatever people want to call it. But it was just a suspension, so he was he was a he was healthy. Mm, okay. So I had to act, actually give him, and he couldn't do anything with the team. So it's like I'm off in this corner, way off, while the team's practicing, training him. So I had to kind of, I, I first started to say, okay, well, the, the thing that I should do to get him ready to jump into practice and jump into games immediately after his suspension is over because he was a, he was a guy on that team um, is to simulate what's going on in practice. The only thing I couldn't simulate was time. Mm-hmm. Okay. I had less time because I also had to get a lift in as well. Yeah. So how can I get as much as I can in a 45-minute hour session outside on the field to simulate what's going on in practice? Well, one, I needed to watch individual period. I needed to watch what was going on in team. I needed to have a stopwatch and find out how much time in between reps and individual, how much time in between reps and team, right? So then I could apply that to what I was programming for what he was doing in his field work, whether okay. it was a electric power day, electric capacity day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a, a change of direction day. I needed to be able to simulate these same things so the proper energy systems were trained so I was exposing him to what it was. Now, I will, I will admit at the beginning, I didn't understand anything about the e- exposure, okay? I just said I just wanted it to look like this. 
So then as I got, I started getting data and accumulating data and I was able to look at it every day. I started comparing his data, his 45 minute hour session to somebody who was practicing for a whole hour and a half, hour 45, two hours. So I'm looking at how many change of direction to the right, how many, cha- how many change of direction to the left. And if they're registering under a certain band, then that means that is he's getting it at a certain speed. He's getting it at a correct speed. And if he's doing the same thing that somebody in practice is getting, then I'm, I'm on the right path. Uh-huh. Then I started noticing that there were some players who weren't getting as much as he was. So then I had to take a step back and say, okay, am I giving him too much? Especially when looking at time, right? Once I once I started kind of notice, okay, these are the players that aren't getting enough. I wanted to watch them on game day, compare their game day data and their game day data looked a little different than what it looked like in practice. So mm-hmm. that made me start asking more questions. Then boom, a, injury, a season in the injury comes and I'm like, okay, that answers some questions. No, that person was not getting enough exposure, right? And then it's like, okay, well, it, it, what happened wasn't because of the last two weeks or the last four weeks. What happened the four weeks before those four weeks, right? right. And then you even look at like like in the NFL, you look at off-season training, 10 weeks between OTAs and mini camps, then six weeks off. Then we're right in the camp with 90 players where you really get more reps of like the younger guys, the guys that are trying to make the roster because a lot of your older guys or your your guy guys are kind of like chilling, getting ready for the season. They don't get it in preseason. Then boom, all of a sudden you get into a 53-man roster and practice has not changed. Time, okay, has not changed because intensities don't really change that much. The only change in intensity that you get that really gets controlled is because you manipulate time. Mm. And these are the things that I start kind of like figuring out as I'm going. And then I'm like, okay, well, maybe that's why a lot of these injuries happen, especially in like the first five to six weeks of the season, especially like the non-contact stuff, the ruptured Achilles, the, the torn ACLs, because yeah, there's been there, there's been a there's been a manipulation in volume, but not time, right? Like we're getting the set we're we're, we're practicing the same amount as we did at Kent when we had 90 players. Mm-hmm. Then we, we're practicing the same way with 53. Uh-huh. We haven't manipulated any type of time, so now you have added a lot of intensity. Gotcha. Okay, now I, now I see. Now I'm connecting the pieces here. You as feel what I'm saying? There's a lot more volume yeah. and there's a lot more time because let's say in, uh, in team periods alone, which are the most intense periods, in team periods alone, if a guy is getting, let's just say, 20 reps of practice mm-hmm. with 90, does he go to 30, 4, 35 in practice once it's down to 53? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what we see is with injuries, spikes and loads, right? Now, I'm not going to go tell a football coach, hey, um, you know, you need to count how many reps he's getting. No, just control it by time. Mm. Time is a volume metric. So, with that being said, it made me look at metrics. Now, you categorize those metrics. What are my volume metrics? What are my intensity metrics, right? And, and, and that's all great when you have technology, when you have Catapult or you have that sports or Zebra, Zephyr, I mean, all of these things. Um, how can you rate intensity without these things? Yeah. Well, one, if you have any type of say-so, you manipulate them with time and training and then 
you carry that over into practice. If you know that your head coach is going to have two and a half practices to start out, then maybe there's something in practice that needs to expose them to that time. Everybody's so caught up on overtraining, overtraining, overtraining. Mm-hmm. We don't look at under what undertraining does because Honestly, I, I mean, from my experience, and I'm sure there's somebody way smarter than me that might tell me something different, but I don't see a whole lot of differences in what happens when you undertrain compared to when you overtrain. So um, that's kind of where I took my approach because one of the things that scared people off of technology, right, was, oh, now we, you know, we can't work hard. You know, it's going to tell us that we're working too hard, so we can't push them. We can't get them mentally tough because the GPS is telling us we're working them too hard, which that's, that isn't what it is. It's just a daily insight, okay? Sports science is just a daily insight or daily testing that gives, that allows for you to make daily interventions, that's all sports science is. So instead of just getting a one rep max and saying, oh, our program was great, or dang, our program sucked based off of one day of training, now you have a, a daily or every other day testing battery, whatever it's going to be, whatever metrics you, you deem important to tell you what is going on in training. So, yeah, we use force decks. That gives me great insight and maybe readiness and fatigue. You know, the RSI, he's at 105% of his RSI today. He's going to have a great week because he's fully recovered and he's gotten a little more explosive, right? Mm -hmm. Or, dang, you know what? He's a little down. Maybe I don't want to have him hit uh, max velocity tomorrow, right? Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't have to be a force deck. Um, And I'll rewind a little bit because we're talking about without technology and I kind of get like this when I start talking about this stuff because it, it really has become a passion of mine but I tell young strength coaches that you're not going to be ready for the technology and all these numbers and metrics if you can't find out the things that you can get every day that are going to tell you the story right, right 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 we already take weights every day well what is that weight telling you what is it telling you what is the weight on Wednesday telling you and what is the weight last Wednesday telling you it's telling you a whole story. It's telling you what could be happening between Wednesday and Wednesday. So you got to look at Thursday and Friday. You got to look at that Monday and Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to tell you a story. It's probably going to tell you a story about hydration. It'll tell you a little story about how he's how that athlete could be eating. Well, bump, that gives you an outlook into recovery, right? Mm-hmm. It's a number. It's a quick, easy number. You step <clears throat> on a scale, all right? How are you, you're tracking that every day, just not even knowing he's stepping on a scale, right? You're interpreting what that means, what those weights mean, okay? Uh, and then you can cause an intervention. Hey, how, when did you, what did you eat last night? How much did you eat? Oh, you had, you had, you had chicken breasts. How many? Well, man, you, you know, you're a weight gain guy. Instead of just one, you probably need like two and a half, three. Mm-hmm. What else did you have? Did you have a vegetable? Did you have fruit? How many, how many bottles of water have you eaten so far today? It's 10 o'clock. Uh, I just had a bottle of water this morning. Well, you probably should have had two and a half, three and a half, right? That yep. is, that is you're already intervening and you're educating, mm-hmm. right? A, a power test, all right? Vertical jump, all right? You find a way to, to correlate a vertical jump height in inches with body weight. It gives you a power output. You get enough data. You make a, a PowerPoint, uh, I'm sorry, an Excel spreadsheet that 
continuously collects that data. Now you have a baseline. Now you can see what percentage of that baseline that player is at on a daily basis or when you want to measure power for readiness. We even here we even we we put a tutorial up on uh, our YouTube page that one of my assistants he's built out a power a power sheet that gives us an indication of readiness just measuring a, a vertical or jump height in inches. Nice. Yeah. So we there just and, and then it's about planning how uh, how you want to implement it. Now we have we started out with a with a uh, just a regular vertical jump. Then we got push bands. We had a belt around the waist. We did a hands fixed counter movement jump. Then we upgraded, and now we have force decks. But I'm not going to buy force decks, and I've never looked at any type of jump data before. Right, right, right. right. So yeah. you don't even need technology. If you got a computer in Excel, you can do these things. And like I said, it's on our, our YouTube page. Um, it's UAFBSNC on YouTube. We have, uh, it's, I think it's on a sports science playlist. We have that. We have that. It's, uh, it, it, he takes you step by step to build that out. Uh, e even even uh, collecting like RPEs. You collect RPEs for your lifting sessions, right? You can even get RPEs on every set. You know what I'm saying? Uh huh. So you can find out. Okay, well, we think this is ninety percent of his one rep max. What would you rate it? Oh, okay. You're calling that. You're calling that a nine. All right, well, shoot, that's about 90%, 95%. Yeah. So we're close. Um, you can do it for practice. You can do it for a whole practice session. At the end, find players. Maybe find your hardest workers. Then maybe you want to ask some of your guys who you know don't work as hard. Hey, how do you rate this practice on a scale from 1 to 10? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Then you can pick a certain amount of guys to say, okay, hey, what do you rate that individual period? Oh, a five? Okay, that's not bad. How long was that individual period? You timed it. It should be up on the clock. So your best player that works his butt off a 10-minute individual period, he's calling it a five. All right? Mm -hmm. Well, what about when it's 15? What about when it's 20? What is he rating it? You know the time. Okay. These are So so on the days that we have a 15-minute individual period, he my, my best player, my hardest worker is rating it a nine. Okay, so when we want to have big practice days or big training days, this is what this period should look like. When we don't want to have such big days, when we want to get some recovery, whatever it is, hey, let's go to the eight-minute individual period and so on and so forth. It doesn't mm -hmm. take technology to do that. It's just about simply asking a question and jogging with him to the next, uh, wherever his, the next period is and asking him that question. Yeah. That's uh, I'll be honest, man. That's that's all the stuff I'm doing because uh, we, we had catapult over at Fordham, but we got rid of it last year. We got gym wears in the weight room instead. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I do the RPEs. Uh, I'm tracking RPEs. I'm tracking RPE times. You know, however long the session was to try to get a quote unquote training load. Right. Um. And and I'll be honest with you, man. I don't do much with that data. I just over time just look look at the trends. You know, what I'm saying that's my biggest thing. Look at the trend. Look at the trend. What do we find? You know. Yeah. Um. Same thing with the uh. You know. Um, sleep when I, when I, you know, monitor my guy's sleep, I got a sleep app on the phone. We don't, you know, we don't have money to buy, uh, those fatigue signs, bands or whatnot, but, uh, same yep. thing. It's, it's just a number I get. It's a metric I use, you know, and just having that, it's just a conversation starter for me in the morning. Say, so Oh shit. Hey, uh, you went to sleep around two o'clock last night, six o'clock liver. You, you yep. know, this is what we got today. You know, how, how do you feel? Yeah. Nine out of 10 yep. times the kid had told me they feel great, but deep, deep down inside, I'm like, okay, you might be able to get to your third set and then you start feeling shit, you know? 
Right. Um, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest. I, I love sports science, man. I wish I had every, <laughs> every piece of technology just to look at every single, you know, minute number and, and analyze sure. it. But at the same time, and I'm sure you can agree to it, you can get lost in, in a fucking rabbit hole and then now you yes, don't even you know can. what you're looking at no more, you know? Yes, you can. And that's why I always say, start it at the simplest level. Start with an Excel worksheet. Start with Google documents mm-hmm. where you just send out a questionnaire. You know what I'm saying? Every well, yeah, day, just built off a Google document that's free and it's easy. And it goes to their email and they put submit and it comes back to you. You know what I mean? Like you can do yeah. a lot. You can get a lot of, you can get quantitative and qualitative data just asking questions. All right. And timing how long these things, how long sessions take, how long periods take. That's, that's easy. Um, you know, we, we, on our YouTube page, we actually show you how to build out a daily questionnaire that you can send out so you can get, you know, how long they, how long they slept. How, mm-hmm. What's the quality of sleep? Yeah. You know, start out with those things. And then once you start asking yourself questions, right, then you get another piece of technology that helps you come up with some answers. But you don't just want to just get yourself so deep in the technology and sports science to where now you're just doing a bunch of collecting and nothing's going on with that data. It's just being collected. Yeah. I was as funny as actually having a conversation with someone about it a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we both kind of said the same thing. It's like, if, if you're not asking any questions, why, why even, you know, get the piece of technology and start, you know, with your data collection and whatnot. Why even use it, you know? Right. That, that's, that's great. I mean, you, you've, sounds like you went from the most basic to, you know, like a force dex, which is pretty damn good. I mean, I, I spent some time using that shit too, which is pretty dope. But uh, yeah. I would say how, how important do you think <clears throat> being a, you know, coach, uh, you, you know, you've been coaching for a while. You've been at, you know, these high levels. How important do you think it is to quantify uh, certain measures using technology um, at the collegiate level versus the NFL level where it's kind of like, you know, you're dealing with million dollar investments there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, for one, I think, like I said, it, it's a daily testing that you can apply to, to, to allow for daily interventions <clears throat> mm-hmm. and some, and, and, and we can't look <clears throat> at inter, interventions as just, Hey, we're changing the whole day or we're keeping him out of something or we're giving him more or something. A lot of time an intervention could just be education because as strength coaches, we should pride ourselves on sending our athletes off to professional, the professional ranks already conducting themselves like professionals, right? When I, when I don't drink enough, when I don't eat enough, when I don't sleep enough, this is what type of day I have. When I drink this much, when I eat this much, when uh, I sleep this much, I'm powerful. I'm, I'm, I'm running fast. I have more stamina, right? My weight, this, this is how I get to 220. This is how I get to 205, right? Mm-hmm. Technology helps you educate these players by showing them, hey, on this day, you weighed this, your hydration test was this, your, these are the questions, these are the answers you gave us on this wellness questionnaire. Hey, this isn't going to cut it. This ain't going to get you there. All right, but on this day, you ate this. This was your hydration test. You weighed this. Man, look at this. You ran 22 miles per hour on this day. Right? Look at look at your jump height. Look at your RSI. Think, remember that day. This was a great day. What did you do that led up to this day? Hmm. Okay. Self-awareness, yeah. 
Yeah, so make sure that more of your days look like this day where you hit 22 miles per hour than this same day two weeks ago when you only got to 19.8 and you were sweating beads, you know, you were sweating bullets and you had your hands on your knees because you couldn't even stand up and we had just gotten through the warm-up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> you know. Have best of them. <laughs> nah, straight up. It does. Yeah. It does. It does, yeah. And, and it also helps them know, okay, that, yeah, you, you're going to be social, but hey, we got a big Friday run, so Thursday night might not be the best night to be social. You feel me? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it also gives them an opportunity to pick and choose when they need to do what, when they need to be what, and then how long it takes for them to recover after that social activity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because yeah. you, you definitely don't want to be social two days before competition, the big game, and we know during training when you did it, Two days later, you bomb. Mm. So I think that's why it's important to do that in college athletics. One, because at the end of the day, we're still trying to increase performance. And our job is to make sure that they're able to perform every time they're required to, yeah. whether they're uh, the NFL player or the college athlete, because we're going to be judged off their performance. And then we get a little bonus when they go to the NFL and they can perform too, or they go to the combine. Uh, and, and can perform. You know what I'm saying? And then you yep. got NFL guys coming back to your building because they know they're getting the best training possible when they can't be in that NFL building, right? And then when they go in that NFL building and they're ready to roll and they're looking good and they're smashing that stuff, now you got NFL strength coaches saying, hey, where did you go train? I was at my school. Okay, there's a real dude that, you know what I'm saying, at, at, at this school. Yeah. So... It's all about perception. It's all about what you want to be known as. It's all about what you want to give your athletes. And it doesn't have to be forced decks. It doesn't have to be catapult GPS. Just make sure you're doing the best that you possibly can and get getting data and knowing what's going on with your athletes on a daily basis is, I think, it gets you a lot closer than you just, oh, I'm just going to do it the old school way. We won a national championship doing it the old school way. Yeah. I get that. That's, you know, I, I, I get it. But I promise you that Coach Saban has a lot of national championships because he's been willing to advance his thinking and be and, and always move forward and not just sticking to the same old stuff. Now, it's, it, trust me, you, there are things that you always want to stick to that you don't want to venture from. And I get that because there are things that I do not venture from. But there are a lot of things that I've changed uh, along my, my my 11 years in this business. And then next 11 years, I hope there are some other things. There are more things that change. Yeah. So what, what would be your message to, you know, young strength coaches just getting into the business who they might have interned somewhere and, you know, used all these beautiful gadgets. And they're like, oh, man, I got to figure it out. I'm going to be one of the best coaches ever. And then they get a job where, you know, very similar to, you know, how you were at Akron. And, you know, when I was at Fairleigh Dickinson, we had, you know, shit. Um, like what, what would your message be to them and, you know, best practices to, you know, uh, I, I guess measure outcomes without having the ability to budget for expensive tech. Right. Well, for one, get you a good filing system. All right. So you get, <laughs> get organized so you can go back and you can look at all the data that you're collecting and, and, and dates and know what's going on and what could have led to this. Okay. What did we do in this period? And we got this result. Well, what did we do in this period that might have got us a less desirable result? Um, I think these are things that you have to look at. Ask questions. Dang, well, what does this mean? How can I figure this out? And that means that you either need to pick up a book or an article or call somebody. Like, 
that's what look the data things that you collect like i said it goes all the way to just like body weights how much time is how much time are these sessions okay this dude hit you know uh 105% of his best power clean today what led to that mm-hmm. oh man he's not doing so good today what led to that you know, and the more questions that you're asking, the more information that you're getting from your athletes, one, it shows that you care. And then it's, it's telling you a story. Everything is, is telling you a story. Allow it to tell it. Ask questions. Even when you think you got it, ask more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and be willing to do whatever it takes to get an answer to a question. And, and then sometimes you'll get some answers that you're not going to like. And you have to be humble and you have to understand, okay, well, I need to take some steps back. Because taking steps back can a lot of times lead to leaps forward. So be willing to take a step back, whatever that is, whether it's just going back and interning or leaving an internship saying, hey, I'm not getting enough and finding a place to go challenge yourself to where you might look like the dumbest person in the room. Yeah. Hey, let me tell you something. I've been the dumbest person in the room a lot of times. All right. And I'm okay with that. Because all it's been is motivation to make sure that that doesn't happen again. You understand what I'm saying? And that's what that's the mentality that you have to have as young strength coaches. You got to be willing to humble yourself. You have to be willing to understand. I don't care what you majored in. I don't care what you got your bachelor's in. I don't care what you got your master's in. I don't care what textbook you can remember uh, from first page to last page. I don't care. It's all about application. How are you applying these things? Can you communicate? Oh, great. You can read a GPS report. You can make this fancy Excel template. It looks beautiful. What happens when you have to go to a head coach and tell them what's going on and how are you communicating that? Are you using a bunch of words from that textbook you remember front to back? Because if that's what you're doing, then that coach is going to send you out of his office and he's never going to call you in there again. Can you speak his language? Can you appeal to what appeals to him, right? Mm -hmm. Are you aware enough to know what your athletes want, the things that arouse them, the things that motivate them, the things that get them going other than jumping up and down and screaming, right? And I'm not saying anything's wrong with jumping down and screaming. If that's what you do, it's all good. But what other ways can you get that get things out of them? Is there substance? Is there something else that you're bringing to the table? Make sure that you're well-rounded. Just don't be good at sports science. Be able to do everything. Be a great communicator. Be great at Excel. Be great at programming. Uh, all the different types of conjugating and VBT and triphasic and whatever else is out there. It's a million things. Be good at all that Verse yourself and all of that stuff because you might even find yourself just picking and pulling. All right. Don't be set to one thing. Like always be willing to, hey, let's undulate this thing. Let's go linear. These guys might need a little more linear. These guys, we might want to undulate. I mean, just be open to it. Just don't get caught up in, oh, I only know this. This is the only thing I've seen from the best who's ever done it. Like, why don't you work on being the best that's ever done it? Which means that you're probably going to have to do something different because that dude already got that spot. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, big, big time. I couldn't agree with you more there, man, because I, I'll be I'm young. Uh, back in my early career, uh, when I was working at preseason, you know, doing sports training there, I, like, I'd only have one vision on programming. But since then, I've opened up. I mean, I mean, triphasic VBT, I mean, uh, conjugate, linear, undulate. I mean, 
everything. I mean, you use everything. Block periodization. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of yeah. like open yeah. it up a little bit. Who, who needs what? Who responds well to what? You know, freshman versus a senior. We train them the same. You know, probably not 90% of the time, but uh, that's good stuff. But I, I would like to say, you know, last question here would be, um, when is it good to rely on utilizing, you know, technology? And, and you know, and when, I, when I mean rely, I kind of say like, you know, uh, you, you kind of fall onto it more often than not. And just to give you, you know, an example for me, uh, with all my in-season teams that I coach, um, you know, I rely on the Tendo uh, or the Gym Aware, whatever you want to call it. I, I rely yeah. on that heavily because I'm not giving out percentages just because I know these guys are beat up from practice, right. class, games. It's like, hey, I can't prescribe a 90% load because I don't know who's going to be able to hit this number based on who played what and who's right. feeling what. So, you know, I rely on that where it's like, hey, this is going to, this is going to auto-regulate the shit out of the program. This is running the show, you know? Yeah. Um, well, when, when do you think is a good time to rely on certain type of technologies and, and you know, speak, speak on, you know, your personal practices as well, if you can. Yeah. I, I personally think it's good to rely on it when you know the story that it's telling you when, yeah. when it's, when it's telling you what you expect, what you, what your instinct is already telling you. Oh, okay. My man had a set a 600, 700 player load. He's tired. Period. Mm-hmm. All right. He's tired. Just don't even, don't even second guess it. Don't talk yourself out of it. Don't let him talk you out of it. Mm-hmm. There is a form of fatigue there. I don't care how many times he's seen a 700 player load, but the simple fact that he's seen it on that day means that he's tired. This is just an example. All right. Questionnaire or oh, I'm good. He's if one through five, he's five. So, all right. Yeah. Okay. That just means that he's the type of player that you want. You know what I'm saying? He's giving you all fives. He's not admitting to fatigue. He's ready to go. Mm-hmm. You jump test him. He's at 75, 80% of his baseline, what he's always giving you, especially when he's fresh, right? He's tired. Let that 75% tell you the story. Let that 15, 30% uh, that 15% asymmetry tell you the story. It's telling you exactly what you needed, what what you're needed to tell you. All right, yeah, yeah. nine times out of ten, it's telling you what you already might be thinking. Let it do it, and then once you feel comfortable being able to communicate that to someone else, hey, this player had this type of load on these two days. If we're gonna practice like this today, you might want to take care of this person because you're looking at soft tissue non-contact ACL, whatever those overexposure or even underexposures could bring, uh, communicate it, and then you leave it up to who else, whoever it is to, uh, to, to implement whatever you're intervening, but also be ready to give a suggestion. Okay, no, he's not going to sit on the sideline with his practice jersey on watching practice. Let's be realistic, right? Mm-hmm. Don't ever take that to a coach unless it's just that severe. Hey, mm-hmm. coach, I think we need to get such and such back. You know, they're a little fatigued. Here's the plan. Boom, 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 boom. What do you think about that? What are the periods that are most important today? What's the most important part of practice? Okay, well, I think he could do that. I think he'd be able to do that. But he's going to have to probably take less reps in these periods of practice or maybe even – come over with a strength coach or get on the bike and hit some stuff during this part of practice. So the part that you're saying is most important is the one that he can get in and go full speed, right? Mm -hmm. Once again, be able to understand what you're implementing. Okay. 
come up with the tracking. What, what metrics do we want to use? What are these metrics telling us? What's the volume metric? What's the intensity metric? What metrics do our coaches, they want speeds, most likely. <laughs> Player load and speed, right? Be able to tell them the story and then be able to tell them what could happen as a result of whatever story is being told. Uh-huh. Boom. Now, now, you better be right about something, all right? Now, if you're saying, hey, man, some soft tissue is one of those, you know, we had a two big first days of practice, right? You know, we saw some 350, 400 player loads in training in an hour of training, right? Then he took a week off, and our first five days, he's got a 580 player load and a 620 player load. Yeah. It, ain't, it don't take a rocket scientist to know that he might pop a hamstring. Right, right, yeah. Right? <laughs> so, hey, yo, this could happen. Oh, yeah, whatever. We're going to practice. We're going to work hard. Okay. Well, you get to practice, and by period three, in the middle of the individual period, the trainer's over there stretching them, right? And out of position, coach looking like, damn, I, somebody told me about this today. Who said something about this today, right? <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's you know funny. what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it does happen. It does happen, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like, okay, well, maybe I need to start listening to that person. Uh-huh. Don't go in and try to throw the kitchen sink. Take things bit by bit. Be able to show grass that coaches can understand. You have to gain their trust. These are football coaches. These are, they don't understand data unless it's got something to do with X's and O's and how many we're good at running this play to the right in this situation, okay? That's when they're good at data. They don't know what your freaking RSI means. They don't know what player load per minute, minute means. They don't know that this amount of yards at this speed, they don't know what that means. All they know is, oh, okay, well, shoot. In a practice, he can run 18 miles per hour for 300 yards. Okay, paint the story. Tell him what that means. Mm -hmm. Or tell him what 5,000 yards at 12 miles per hour means, right? Mm -hmm. It means that he's doing a lot of jogging, Yeah. (laughs) right? (laughs) Probably getting slow, detraining. You know what I'm saying? So find the things that are going to appeal, the things that are going to – and then tell them why this is good. Tell them why it's bad. Give them examples. Uh, you know, and then once you start getting that stuff down just bit by bit, now they're like, okay, now they want a big picture. You better be ready to paint that big picture, which means that you better ask a whole bunch of questions and you better come up with some a whole bunch of answers. Yeah. How did, how did you learn to communicate with uh, head coaches? Because I feel like not a lot of people understand how to uh, break that barrier, you know? By, by watching people who couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> As, hey, have, so... Let me. I know you got a funny story of something. You went to a head coach or a position coach said something that you saw in some data, and they just looked at you like, "The fuck you talking about?" You got any good stories like that or not? Um, no, nah, man. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with you. The the it's not really funny, but I think it it, it is very interesting. Is yeah. that the, the first kind of couple of times that I went to coaches about a GPS report and what we needed to do different? I think they were expecting me to say hey, we need a pullback, we need to do less. Mm, but my okay. first actual communication was, was, hey, we need to do more. Really? Yes. Huh. We need to do more. Once again, going back to exposure, right? Yeah. Making sure that you're exposing them to what they need to be exposed to because, you know, when it comes to cramping, right, when it comes to fatigue, like I said, man, the same things you get from under training, 
You're going to get that you get from overtraining. There isn't much of a difference, right? Mm -hmm. if, I, if I've overtrained you, then what did that, I'm, that means I've gotten you closer to what? Fatigue. Mm -hmm. And then we know all the things that can happen because of fatigue. Yeah. What happens if I don't expose you to that? What happens if you never see what happens, you never feel what happens on a 12-play drive, no huddle, they're running a play every 25 seconds? Heart attack. <laughs> Something, right? Heart popping so out being of the hard, I mean, underexposure yeah. is going to cause fatigue. And yeah. the same injury yeah. is going to happen. It doesn't matter how you do it. It's the same thing. Body doesn't understand different types of stress. It just remembers. It just knows what stress is. Yeah. That's right, good. whether it's too much or it's not enough, it's stress. So we have to make sure that we're exposing. So my first conversation was was, hey, we need more. Mm -hmm. We need shorter rest times. We need more than just four to six plays on the field. Yeah. Right. So um, never really had anything where somebody openly just said, hey, what the hell are you talking about? And sometimes that's probably because I'm also 6'4", 280 pounds. <laughs> Intimidating factor, right? You feel what I'm saying? Which I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not, I don't want it to be that way. I want people to be able to communicate and I love to educate. Um, but another thing too that I did is the first, the, the, before that meeting, before any other meeting, before I even tried to practice, I talked about what different speeds mean, right? What is what does seventy to seventy five percent of your max velocity mean? Mm -hmm. What does it mean when you're getting a bunch of yardage between eighty five and ninety percent of your max velocity? Uh -huh. What does it mean when you're getting ninety five plus of your max velocity? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. If you're if you're spending a whole bunch of time in in that middle section, which I think called Charlie Fence is called the dead zone or the danger zone, right? Dead zone. Yeah, nothing dead happens. Zone, that means that you're getting, you're detraining, you're getting slower, yep. and it's requiring the same amount of recovery that it would if you had ran 95% of your max velocity, correct? Yep. yep. So if we got a bunch of that going on in practice, then we're detraining. Now, we do also understand that 4% of football is max velocity of mm -hmm. a game, right? So it's not like you see it a whole lot, but you better yeah, be ready for it. And if you haven't seen it, any of it, then we're looking at a decrease in performance because you'll probably end up in the training room if you, or you just won't even be able to get there. You're just gonna get left. Yeah. Or and caught. I, I feel like you see a lot of those soft tissues because guys aren't hitting those, you know, ninety plus percent uh, velocities in, uh, right. in practice. You know, everyone's yep. trying to save themselves for fucking Saturday or Sunday, and it's like, dude, you you gotta understand the said principle and 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 the stress response to certain things is. You got to run fast if you want to be fast, baby. You're not just fast all of a sudden, you know? Right. Right. So that's, that's, that's good stuff right there, man. But um, Coach Johnson, man, I appreciate you coming on today, man. This was this I appreciate was great. you having me. This, this was great. great. No, no, no doubt. We definitely got to do this again. But I want to leave you with one question that I ask everybody, man. Okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start putting a clause in this question, right? Because everyone I ask this question to, they all answer the same way. Right? Okay. Now, if you weren't coaching, what other career would you see yourself doing but here comes the clause. You can't say coaching football. <laughs> right, right. Everyone I ask, like, oh, I think I'd be a football coach in high school somewhere. I'm like, come on, man. It says that's not juicy of an answer, man. Yeah, so. nah. Um, honestly, I, I, I don't know if I'd be a high school football coach, but I, I do enjoy teaching. Okay. I, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy giving information. I enjoy being able to share my experiences. So I would, 
motivational speaking and teaching. Um, and I've, and I've found those things recently, even, I mean, since I've been here, I've gone, I've spoken to a couple of classes for our new, uh, nutritional sciences department. I found that I really enjoy speaking in classes and being asked questions and just being real and being able to share my experiences. Uh, and then just like motivational speaking, just getting people to understand like how to be better, how to perform, whether it's performing in the office every day or performing on the field. Like, I, I really get a joy out of, um, you know, kind of that consulting, motivating, teaching role um, and helping people, you know, succeed. That's awesome, man. Uh, yeah, teaching is good. I, I'll be honest, I, I was an adjunct professor for a year or two, a year and a half. Okay. I, I didn't enjoy it much just because I was teaching to a class that my class was a uh, strength and conditioning class. It was just an elective, but nobody was right. trying to be a strength coach. So I didn't right. like it as much, but motivational speaking, when it comes to encouraging people, I find a lot of passion and you know, I find it real relaxing doing that myself with people. So I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. And I think you could be an excellent motivational speaker because you've been at the top of the top, man. You've been at the top of the mountain. You know what it takes to climb that damn thing. I appreciate that. Yeah, no doubt, big dog. But hey, man, again, appreciate you coming on. It, it was uh, it was an honor getting you on, man. Uh, I appreciate you know, yeah, it. was great national, being on here. National championship winner and uh, head strength coach of uh, University of Arizona. So, For sure. Appreciate you having me, bro.